0: It's true when it comes to fusion and things like that, and putting things on stage and labeling and um, naming things. It's so important, especially when we put videos on YouTube and everything, having the title be what it is.
1: Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Belly dance Life podcast and today I'm so happy to talk about nuances of belly dance in different countries and specifically highlight what is going on in Greece and Turkey with our beautiful guest Athena Najat She was born in USA and trained by master teachers in New York City, Egypt, Lebanon and Turkey At the same time Athena had traveled all around the globe dancing and performing on different stages. Her dance background began in childhood with years dedicated to training in classical ballet and modern dance. She graduated with a dance major from the famous performing arts high school Walnut Hill and her education continued with special training at Le Bain Center London at New York University, from which she holds both a bachelor and a master of arts degrees in dance and culture. For nearly a decade, she lived in Athens, Greece, where she co-organized a successful Indian international ballet dance and music event, a festival, as well as a she is a founding member of Kazafi Troop Greece. Right now, Thin is based in Turkey and in our today's conversation we discussed both her years in performance career in Greece as well as her decision to move to Turkey many years ago and how it unfolded Uh, there as well as what's the current situation of going on in both countries. At the same time, of course, we talked about cultural and dance traditions in both cultures and uh, uh, specifically Chiefteteli and uh, what is specific about Greek Chiefteteli, what are the misconceptions or things that many dancers are questioning, does it have anything to do with Chiefteteli rhythm (laughs) and so on and so on. As well as even we covered current um, scene of performance gigs and something that is happening recently very new as online gigs i'm not talking about online teaching i'm actually talking about hiring belly dancer for birthday party or family gathering to perform online what is going on there, how it happens and all ins and out Athena shared from her own recent experience on that. So lots of useful information, uh, cool inspiration and practical tips both performing in general and performing specifically right now in the current world situation. And on this note, let's dive in the interview. Hello, dear Athena. Welcome to the uh, podcast. Uh, very happy to talk uh, to you. Uh, you're currently in Turkey, a little bit warmer than many other
0: countries that are listening to
1: us. So, <laughs>
0: welcome to the uh, podcast. <laughs> Oh thank you Yana I'm really excited to be with you and yes it's sunny Turkey I'm I'm in South Turkey now I'm relocated temporarily from Istanbul and uh enjoying the the warmer weather <laughs> But you
1: actually have a quite interesting geography <laughs> of your lifetime and dance journey, too. Um, so I actually would like to start our conversation as we traditionally start from the very beginning. How did uh, dance entered your life? And what was the point that you start thinking about ballet dance as a potential career?
0: Oh yeah, I love life stories actually. Um and also the the geography of where I'm from is always a big paragraph for me, uh, not a sentence. Um so my first dance experiences were from very little, like most uh female children I've met all over the world if they have the privilege and ability to be sent to dance class um, I was sent to ballet class and it was always a a no-brainer it was a question that my mom asked me every single year like do you want to continue ballet or do you want to do something else and I did no no I want to go back to ballet class (laughs) so you know at a very young age ballet classes um, is you know just follow the leader and butterfly legs and all of that, but it evolved for me into a deep, deep love uh, for dance in general, but especially for ballet. And that was in the States because I grew up uh, in New Jersey. Um, And along the way, uh, I was exposed to a lot of other dance um, being from Greek background. My father is Greek and my mother is a mix of American. Um, we used to, my father used to take us to Greek restaurant in New Jersey, where I would see belly dancers. I would usually be as very small. I have these memories of being a very small child sleeping on the, you know, nightclub chairs and then being woken up by, oh, she's, she's coming out. Here's the dancer. Here's the dancer, you know? So I would see this, um, these, ladies with multicolored chiffons. And I just remember the fabrics and the, the whirling of fabric. And, and I really, as a small child, didn't believe that they were human. I thought they were in my imagination, the belly dancers, which I saw at the local Greek restaurant were magical fairies with, with silk veils and all of that. So um, little did I know years, years, years later uh, in New York, I realized that many of those dancers are are my teachers, Uh, the people that I saw when I was little, I ended up taking class with them much later. (laughs) So uh, because they said, yeah, we used to work in New Jersey at that restaurant. Um, So yeah, through, through ballet, um, I went on a very professional road through uh, classical ballet and modern dance. And it wasn't until uh, being in New York City in university at NYU, that I was feeling um, suffocated a bit by the what what had become a second nature technique, a strive for perfection, um, what all the all the beautiful things that ballet uh, requires of a person, and I said, "Hey, I'm in New York City, and there's." a ton of things offered here. Let me take some things on the weekend. Cause I had full dance, full dance schedule through school. Um, but I, I went on the weekends to do any kind of fun, uh, explosive dance. I, I was taking African dance mainly. Um, I tried some Indian dance. I, I tried anything that was um, ethnic and interesting and a, a sort of a gateway into something so different from ballet. And belly dance was one of those things. And so it, it swallowed me at that point, like in my uh, in my really early 20s.
1: You actually were doing a professional dance education at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All my life. I mean, from high school, I went to a performing arts high school where I was a, a ballet major. Um, It was a boarding school. So we had half day, um, half day of regular academics, but everybody at the school was um, focused on their art form and on their craft. So there were dance majors, there were um, theater majors, art, visual arts and um, creative writing. And um, I'm missing uh, music, of course, music majors. So um, I was really I mean, arts has always been a huge part of my life and dance was just kind of it for me. But um, it took me a while to understand. You know, as a kid, I was trying jazz. I was trying tap. I was trying, but uh, I wasn't really exposed to uh, the vastness of cultural art forms, even though Greek folk dance was always in my life. um, (laughs) It was always like a... A social family thing to do at at church, actually church functions, (laughs) because in America, the uh, the cultures sort of um, circulate around church events and holidays and things like that, the community events. So um, but aside from Greek traditional dance, which I had a few classes, I never went deep, deep into the traditional dances. um, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to other dance forms until I was in, in New York, you know, and then it was everywhere, and I had a full menu to choose from. <laughs> Probably
1: very busy schedule those days.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't consider myself a super, you know, hype like in terms of um, physically hyperactive. But I think I just as a I I never got tired of dancing. Like you know, I if you put me in the gym. I get really bored. I don't want to do, you know, physical activity. <laughs> you put on some music and tell me about, you know, especially now, um, what where that led me was just um, an obsession with digging deep into cultures and uh, finding out how dance really expresses uh cultural values and societies and how that varies from society to society. So in NYU, that's when I went for my master's, it was kind of a through line, like how belly dance opened up uh, the world of of interest in cultural dance and movement. Um, it took me into my master's degree, which was in dance ethnography and um, performance studies. And and I'm I'm kind of just always Coming back to that, like, while I do feel like a dancer, performer, entertainer, for the most part, um, I'm always kind of always returning to a wormhole of like research. You know, there's I I feel like there's so many different sides of dance and dance body and dance mind that, um, you know, uh, we each have if we're if we're magnetized to dance we each have our side that we we either stick to or visit many different sides so like whether it be the joy of entertaining and connecting or whether it's the joy of the craft of creating something on the stage or whether it's the joy of sharing something through teaching or whether it's the joy of you know researching and you know I I hold myself in a little bubble of like no I just found this interesting information and this interesting thing and I want to like you know I'm sure you know what I'm talking about where you just stay up and you're like why did I not find this information before or I've never seen this before Um, so yeah
1: so you were from pretty early years you were kind of considering your future and your profession in the area of dance and arts, even before you fell in love with ballet dance. But before that point, how did you imagine actually your future dance career?
0: Uh, as a little kid, I had some fads. You know, I, I was really interested in dinosaurs for a while. I was really interested in penguins for a while. I was really interested in sea life uh, the only career I remember other than dance that I thought I would do is like a marine biologist um, because I was interested in sea life. And my father was a tradi- he is a traditional Greek, old school, old style ship captain, first generation in America. And and our whole our lives were always revolving around, um, you know, the him captaining the ship. So I at some in some weird way I always saw myself at sea. Um so I remember telling my father I wanted to be a like a dolphin doctor dancing on a ship. That was my dream job. A dolphin doctor, whatever that meant as a kid. Dancing I work on a, ship. <laughs> a dancing, dancing and on a ship of course because uh you know where else would a dolphin doctor be? <laughs> But the dance, the dance was always in there, you know, (laughs) and um, and yeah, and like fast forward, it's interesting that uh, my most recent um, job was on tourism boats, you know, and being um, being on boats. And now I'm pursuing like because of COVID and an uncertain future. Now I'm also uh, learning how to sail and I'm hoping to learn to scuba. So something always related to the sea. And, but I'll always include dance in that, whether it be a scuba diving dancer or a sailing dancer.
1: <laughs> ah, that's a cute story. But uh, how about like dance field? Because you probably went to like dance, professional dance school without a dream of becoming a professional belly dancer. You probably saw your dance future somehow differently at that point, And then you discovered belly dance.
0: Yeah. Well, I think... Um... Being a ballet dancer was the dream was to become a ballerina and that for me uh, was sort of put in reality terms when I went to that uh, performing arts high school I mentioned um, I saw my colleagues and I saw which ones would had the best chance of becoming ballerinas and I was not one of them <laughs> um, and I would say that because of uh, you know uh, the body um, requirements I'd say I mean we're it's a lot less rigid in the states where we have lots of contemporary ballet and all of that but there's still a very a very strict sort of norm within that field of dance and um, it's opening up or whatever but I guess like in my years I just I looked it around and I said you know Not to knock myself down, but I gradually um, moved into the more modern dance, contemporary dance thing. And I saw myself perhaps after high school auditioning for companies and stuff like that. So anybody who left my high school, my dance department, they had two roads ahead. One was to audition, audition, audition to become professional in a dance uh, company or to go to college, university. Some people chose to stay within dance. Some people went off on a totally different uh, thing. I decided to stay within dance and I went to NYU with a dance focus, but um, but it opened up because I went to uh, Gallatin school, which was a very, it still is. It's an individualized study. You can combine your majors and create your own thing. So I kept dance and then um, included it was at the time my, my degree was in uh, deaf culture, dance and spirituality <laughs> because I was, I was really interested in um, uh, the, the community and the culture, deaf culture, because they entirely use movement and, uh, and their bodies in order to communicate. And uh, so I did as many classes as I could in deaf culture. Um, and then, Dance, of course, was just classes and pedagogy and anatomy and all different dance history classes. And then uh, spirituality came about just because, I mean, everything has circulated through that. I was interested in um, ceremony and uh, how dance and movement symbolizes the symbolization of dance and movement to different cultures. um, So all those things kind of wrapped up all together and. Um, I thought I might become a scholar, uh, but becoming a professor or a scholar or something, it just it never felt like the right time. Now I'm um, getting older and maybe that's something in the future. But at the time, I, I felt like I'm a dancer. I'm young. My body wants to dance. You know, it doesn't want to sit and write papers as much as I wrote papers, <laughs> and, you know, the, the requirements to get my degrees. And then it was like, yeah, I, I want to go out and dance. And that's when I uh, took off and came to this side of the world. <laughs> and how about your previous
1: training? Uh, did you find that it helped you when you start doing ballet dance? Or you had to sort of fight a certain body habits that... Because ballet and ballet dance, they are very different.
0: Um, I think initially I thought that ballet helped me, um, but there were lots of struggles with some really simple technical things, which, you know, um, toning certain muscles for shin, you know, like asking muscles, which are very, uh, used to being tight, asking them to relax. That's very difficult. I think. That's what um, anybody (laughs) who's uh, trained in Western theatrical styles would say, like uh, the approach is so different if you're um, a natural body, let's say like like it's just a natural body approaching uh, belly dance. I think uh, there is a benefit to that. Um, Ballet and, and all my dance training has helped me a lot as a teacher. Um, and it's helped me a lot as a choreographer and anything that I put on stage, some of these some of the, um, the stagecraft stuff is very second nature to me um, because of all those years of working with choreographers and being in groups and all of that. I think that that's been really helpful for the theatrical aspect of belly dance. But in the technical aspect, um, the the technique, I think it was struggle for, for me. And I think also when when I teach uh, Greek Tsifteteli, which is um, something I've been asked to teach a lot, it's an, a totally improvised form and it's a very uh, natural form. And when trained dancers are asked to do it, sometimes that's a really, really difficult thing. When, when it's a phenomenal, I've, I've taught workshops with phenomenal dancers who can just do about any kind of anything with their body. And then you ask them to just relax and do minimal, minimal, and they kind of get stuck a little frustrated or whatever <laughs> um, so yeah
1: And I know that many uh, dancers they are really wondering and questioning or oh, to become a professional ballet dancer, to call myself a professional ballet dancer. Do I need a higher education in dance? What would be your opinion? because you went through it
0: <laughs> uh. No, I don't think, I don't think you need, um, I mean, no, I don't think anybody would require it. I think, um, dance education in general, if it's not taken to be, um, rules, you know, um, the, the study of dance and the study of, um, so for example, I, I'm Studying theatrical dance, you learn what is effective on stage and, you know, a placement on the stage, uh, various body dynamics. Um, these are not rules, they're tools to create uh, movement as a soloist or as a group. It's all really very helpful if you learn that stuff. Um, I find that if you if you don't study it, you'll come across it at some point. You'll run into somebody who has that information. Um, it just may not be uh, transmitted to you in such a um, sort of in a study kind of way. But you'll always sort of absorb this information if you get involved in dance in whichever way you do. Um, so I don't think it's a requirement. It's just it's like when when you're hungry for information. Um, do you wait for that information to come to you in the experience or do you actually go out and seek that information and, um, and then make choices because there's a lot of information that might not be valid to you personally as a performer or that you won't, you may, you know, have tools that you don't want to use, for example, you know, um, but the tools are out there, the information's out there, um, and, you know, focusing a study in dance if you are in the position to do so. Um, it just can further, you know, uh, your your journey, I suppose. But it's definitely not a requirement to be professional or to be advanced or to be, you know, everybody, especially in the creative arts, um, everybody is on their own journey. And there is um, it, only in the sense of, you know, if you want to, Work as a professor in a university, or or run a dance department, or something like that. That might be where where that would be a requirement. But like other than that, you know, the the hierarchy of who is more professional or who is more experienced than another person, it's all very different and personalized. I feel, you know.
1: And uh, after your. Graduation. Then you stepped into like, okay, now I need to figure out like fully what is going on with job. How was your dance career developing, and how you ended up focusing mostly in the area of ballet dance eventually?
0: Um, so a little bit before graduation, I got really uh, sucked into the world of Oriental dance. That was before um, moving, of course, moving before moving to the side of the world, Um, I was in New York and I was, I started performing really too soon (laughs) Um, because I stumbled upon a Greek restaurant in New York with my friend. And it was funny. It was a funny encounter because we were looking for we had actually um, over fantasized what a belly dance weekend oriental weekend could be. We were both in um, stifling jobs just out of undergrad university. So before my master's degree Um, and we both were feeling just sort of like, is this what life is? We're going to be behind a desk and trying to squeeze in a dance class here and there. My friend actually, she wasn't a dancer, but we, wanted to have a, an exotic, uh, beautiful, fun, feminine weekend or whatever. So she brought up the idea, let's go to this belly dance class. And um, we went to a, a, a place that was closed for a private event for dinner. And then the following morning, we were going to go to this belly dance class. And um, we ended up in a Greek nightclub that I didn't know was around, like really close to where I was living and we walked in and i said oh this can't be you know we had a picture in our mind imagine like a very orientalized fantasized something and i was like no 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 this is like a greek wedding this is like my family like it was it was like a return to home to me and i was like no 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 there can't be a belly dancer in this place so we we stayed for the you know for a drink or whatever and then the belly dancer came out and so i started classes at that time and i don't i didn't pursue performing because I was already you know preparing theater stuff for my university and those but um I just I met musicians I met other dancers there were several dancers that just somehow I just went with the flow and I ended up performing way before I knew anything (laughs) about performing oriental dance and um uh, so when I graduated, graduated, I had continued my, it was like a a journey of performing and learning. And I was trying to catch up with my learning because I was already a dancer, but I didn't know enough cultural stuff. You know, I, the music was all uh, quite familiar because a lot of places I was dancing had Greek musicians or some Greek musicians in there. So the Arabic stuff was stuff I had to learn, but the Greek and Turkish was all very familiar to me. So it was, it was a weird kind of um, success, <laughs> let's say, um, but it kept me motivated because I wasn't completely lost. I was, I was exploring and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, graduating, um, I was full with academia after my master's degree and I just wanted to come to the side of the world, the. The Greek side of the world, the Turkish side of the world, Egyptian side of the world, uh, Mediterranean, and just relax and regroup. And I ended up uh, staying seven years or eight years in Athens. (laughs) I was planning just to come and decide what I was going to do. But um, that period of my life, and I think as it set a tone for my adult life, was that... um, I'm super grateful for every kind of opportunity that presents itself and I'm a kind of person that doesn't that doesn't feel inclined to say no to a potential road opening, you know. So, um this has been sort of a, a through line in my life that I'm um I've been a, a little bit, you know, well, this is coming right in front of me like I this is of course I should, even if it's risky, even if it's, um, destabilizing and, um, fear, if I have a fear, (laughs) all my fears, I try about, about future and about like, well, what if, what if I just, I have, I had to learn. And I guess we all have to learn at some point to just trust that we, uh, we can make decisions along the way. Like one decision does not mean all the decisions, you know, you make a decision until it stops working out for you, and then you have to sort of regroup again and find yourself somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know if that answered any question or dance. Yeah, well no. the
1: and uh, then you ended up being in uh, Greece. Did you continue trying to explore ballads there too?
0: I did. Um, at the time, it was a big This was before the economic crisis, uh, the main one that has been uh, that they're still experiencing. Um, It was a really good time for Greece and uh, Oriental dance, belly dance was pretty much everywhere at that point. It was a real fad. Um, Also in the States, you know, I think it was post Shakira time that like I was in Greece. So. Uh, you know, everywhere you looked in a bar, nightclub, there was um, belly dance. But uh, in Greece at that time, they hadn't had a lot of uh, the popularity of Egyptian style or even learning technique hadn't really popularized itself. It was it was Greek tsifteteli, which is a social dance. It's the belly dance of, uh, you know, we have it in our culture. And um, this has existed for years, so people, it was just a reflux, like a new influx of popularity of Greek tzititeli, the and then the popularity of like kind of old, what we call old now, like kind of an uh, um, Arabic pop music. So Greek tzititeli dancing, uh, not necessarily with Greek music. The popularity was to put on some Hakim or somebody and just have this piping through every entertainment venue in in Athens at the time. So, um, it was interesting because when I went to Greece, I, I looked for some teachers and I met some reputable teachers and took classes where I could. And, um, then I was just focusing on, uh, traditional dance. So I went to Dora Stratu, uh, dance theater, which is the traditional, uh, one of the more reputable traditional Greek dance places. And I was, um, Doing some internship there, so I was helping with the office and uh, promoting the performances for the group. And then I was able to take intensive workshops with the traditional dancers. uh, During it was a it was a summer program actually, and you know every day I was able to learn different uh, traditional Greek dances and learn about uh, different music. So I I was still in this. um, I was I was still balancing. my academia, with my performance, and with my my traditional dance, with my, uh, you know, oriental and um, theatrical creations. I was trying to sort of balance and fit them somehow together and keep them separate because they have to be, but then kind of put them together. And they came together because um, a lot of the traditional dancers in that group have their own dance schools. And when they heard I was a belly dancer, and because it was so popular at that time, they were like, oh, we need a teacher for belly dance uh, in our school. So that's how I ended up staying seven or eight years there because um, I had a nice circuit of schools to teach um, belly dance. And then I had my nightlife work, you know, in all different kinds of venues, um, some cafes, some, you know, bouzoukia stages, which are like the live music stages and some restaurants. Um, It was a really... (laughs) good time uh, before the economic crisis. People had money and people were going out and celebrating as as uh, Greek people like to do. <laughs> so.
1: so two burning questions that I'm pretty sure is on everyone's mind who's listening right now. Greek Chifteteli, what is any similarities or differences with Egyptian Raksharki and... Uh,
0: does it has anything to do with chiftetelli rhythm <laughs> <laughs> so this is a whole workshop or several workshops that i do. um no but um, so the the question between um, egyptian rock sharky and greek chiftetelli um, egyptian rock sharky of course has its base in uh, traditional dance Balladie, and then of course we incorporate other traditional forms within Raksharki Sharki to become our show as belly dancers. Um, Tifteteli, Greek Tiftateli has always resided in the realm of social. Um, when it it has, it's when you when I teach about Greek, I don't want to say I teach Greek Tiftateli because Greek Tiftateli is in, entirely improvisational. Um, In order to dance it, uh, the main education of this has to be education of history, education of music, education of culture, and then some movements are helpful to know, (laughs) but it's not like a catalog of movements or techniques that you have to learn, Um, and especially something like uh you know when we study Egyptian rockshaki, we're studying the sage craft along with it. We're studying how to perform it, and Tzifteteli has remained in the social sphere I mean, not to say that there aren't Tzifteteli performances there are you can put on a costume and dance Tzifteteli. but the dance itself exists within a social sphere, so that's a big that's a big, big difference, one being the um you know, keeping it, keeping it social, keeping it uh, off the stage in a way. And it's always a big question when you do perform it on a stage. How theatrical can you get? Um, it's like a question for any um, folk dance. How theatrical can you get? Uh, it's you have to be quite intentional in all your choices when you take something and put it on a stage in any sense Um, and then with the rhythm uh, so the word sifteteli for Greeks it does come from the Turkish sifteteli so the pronunciation for Greeks is with a ts in the beginning sifteteli we don't have a ch sound in our uh, in our language so um Shifteteli in Turkey usually refers to a folk dance and um, and also a music style and sometimes a rhythm. I think we use the rhythmic term. We uh, really marry it to the rhythm. The that rhythm, we marry it to that rhythm. But like in Greece and in Turkey, it's a bit more fluid with style of music and. Um, and what else do I want to say about that? Yeah <laughs> yeah, so for the dance, Tsifteteli, um, the Greek one, evolved beyond its Turkish roots because uh, the Greeks, as anybody who knows about Greek in this region's history, um, the Greeks mi- migrated as sort of refugees in the beginning of nineteen uh, 19- 1900s, let's say 1920, there was a population exchange and and the formation of the Turkish Republic. This created um, millions of Greeks from leaving Anatolia, where there was a lot of music and dance and culture uh, mingling. Those Anatolian Greeks ended up in what is now on the map, you know, mainland Greece. and. along with them came music and dance and that that music and dance doesn't stop there you know like any art it evolves and it evolved independently from its uh, anatolian roots so it's continued to evolve over the years and um and the music has evolved so it's quite different from uh turkish ifeteli and um certainly it's a it's a branch of the Oriental dance tree. I would say it's not something totally separate. You know, it's, some people refer to it as the Greek belly dance, um, but it it has its own character, its own color, its own history. Um, but it's it's certainly related, and it uh, I really enjoy teaching about it. It's a it's a lengthy <laughs> um, question that I, I'm trying to sort of keep concise and as clear as I can be but um uh yeah, I love teaching about it, I love sharing it because it's a big um sometimes it's an elephant in the room, you know, in the diaspora in Australia, in America, in the western country outside of this region where I, where I'm sitting where you're sitting in Egypt, I'm sitting in <laughs> Turkey, in this region, um you know, the music mingling makes a lot of sense. The history mingling, it's a very old history, complicated history, rich history between peoples, peoples, like lives of peoples, generations of peoples. And then in the diaspora, you know, we, we try to categorize things and sometimes we get lost and we say, well, why, why is there always, you know, why aren't there belly dancers and, you know, Arabic music in the Greek restaurant, you know, and then it kind of, you know, it, I I enjoy answering those questions and like linking that together um, because everything is linked. It's not just um, boxes that is this is this and that is that. Like those things have intermingled for centuries and uh, and then and then grow apart and grow other legs and other arms and stuff like that. So it's it's the richness that's so exciting. You no. Know? I'm
1: always very uh, skeptical to the term authentic culture. Although we use it to like sort of give some kind of like flavor or understanding about what we are trying to say. But if to dig deeper, there is always underneath this authentic culture, there is a layer of mixture before.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, um, I think the... The most important thing as a artist or scholar or anybody who is involved in um describing or expressing culture or art like is integrity like being honest about what it is and what like where it comes from for you, what you've learned, what you know what you 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 don't know what you don't know you know, but um the labeling and the the strict uh, boxing things into place is sometimes dangerous. And when you say authentic, that's somehow uh, it's an archaic kind of word because you go like uh, authentic, you're looking back to when, like when was it ever like purity, you know, this sort of seek people are seeking the pureness of something. Um, There are, there are foundations of things and there are um, oftentimes there's multiple foundations of things and then you know they they mix and they inform one another and then they separate and um, yeah so the question of authenticity is definitely one that brings me back to university life (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah it's true when it comes to fusion and things like that and putting things on stage and labeling and um naming things it's so important especially these you know, when we, when we put videos on YouTube and everything, having the title be what it is, you know, I'm careful when I do my Greek interpretations of things. Um, if I'm putting it on stage and if I'm wearing a costume and I'm dancing to a Greek song, I'm doing something theatrical. I'm not doing Tzifteteli. Like uh, for me, Greek Tzifteteli is, um, is only in the social spe- sphere so if someone took a picture, a video of me dancing at a wedding or something like a, I don't mean a wedding, like in costume, I mean, like dancing in a nightclub Ziftetelli, and say, oh, look, Athena Najjar is dancing. Ziftetelli. OK, but if I'm doing something in costume on a stage and I've and I'm alone, especially like um, it's a theatrical interpretation. Up to Delhi, you know, and, and to label it that is not uh, minimizing it, it's actually elevating it and saying, you know, I, I took a social thing and I'm putting it on stage and I made certain choices about it. And, and that's me and it doesn't make me right. And it doesn't make another person wrong <laughs> to do it a different way, you know, but to be honest about what you're inspired by and what you're moved by in dance is really um, honest, I guess. <laughs>
1: I had uh, previously one more question which you already kind of answered, like uh, I was curious to ask uh, in terms of connection with Turkish uh, çifteteli because there is a çifteteli dance in Turkey, uh, uh, like what is the connection between uh, Greek version, let's say, and Turkish version, but you already kind of uh, answered it. So I kind of want to twist a little bit more into the um, term Greek belly dance. Uh, because it's probably somewhat inspired and connected to Greek Chiefteteli, but there is also, like, a different layer, where, like we talk about Greek style of belly dance. And it's very tricky thing to interpret, like, the styles of, like, Egyptian style or Turkish style or Greek dance, because everyone will interpret it slightly differently. Uh, but personally for you, do you see the differences between, let's say, greek style of ballet dance turkish style of ballet dance and egyptian style of ballet dance and if you see them how would you kind of like define uh, for yourself greek ballet dance
0: style i do as a um as an artist my i mean as a performer myself i uh, definitely feel and see a difference between the styles um as as i look at other dancers i'm you know i'm not so this is to a fault probably i'm i'm not very critical of other dancers so if someone is dancing uh turkish style turkish music and does something that i personally wouldn't do with turkish music because i'm trying to stay in a turkish style doesn't it doesn't usually um uh, stand out to me but i might notice it for example um Uh, or, or opposite, let's say, let's say, for example, Turkish, um, fast and furious leg, like leg lifts. And, um, if this comes into an Egyptian style song, I might notice it be like, Oh, I wonder if that person has a Turkish influence in their dance or for example, if a tur- someone's dancing Turkish music and brings in some kind of more emotional sort of expression in their face, for example, which I wouldn't normally myself as a performer interpret, I might say, oh, maybe their background, like why? what What brought that choice on? Greek Tifteteli for me is like probably the most uh, fluid or something um because for me the the improvisational part and the fact that it starts social like it, it belongs in the social when i see a dancer um struggling or um pressing too hard for for movements within tsifteteli it usually breaks for me a little bit the the feeling of uh greek tsifteteli like it can be an old one, or it can be a more modern uh, song. And there can be, for example, if you're dancing to an old style Greek Tifteteli, uh, it tends to be a bit softer, a bit uh, less less use of uh, rigid techniques that we train, like the, the rigid techniques we train in the hips, for example, shimmies or, or accents, very hard accents. They're more soft, a lot of lifts as opposed to heavy drops. Um, this is a more traditional approach to Tsifteteli. But as as Tsifteteli has evolved, so has the dance and so has the information. So now if you have like a modern Tsifteteli song uh, or a bouzouki Tsifteteli, which is a bit virtuo- virtuoso, you know, the bouzouki player is trying to show off a little bit his skills. You know, the dancer can also show off her skills in that. So it is, it's in, infused with some some of those techniques that weren't inherent, let's say, to to Greek Tiftateli. But you know, if a dancer is a dancer, a dancer will always be informed by everything that they've trained. Um so I don't know if, if I'm answering the question, but I feel like there's uh a very big range in style in Greek Tiftateli, depending on what era the music is and what style the music. We have very clubby, clubby tifteteli, like new ones. Uh, some with some, even some, you know, reggaeton and some Latin feeling or, you know, whatever inspiration is in there. And then if you have like the more traditional ones, the older, the classic Ziftetella are more, you know, a bit more soft. And of course, knowing the the music, uh, the older tzifteteli has definite import, uh, cultural importance because those songs were created with a nostalgic feeling most of the time. Uh, because it was a period where you know people had been relocated there was a nostalgia for their homeland so some of those songs are about life as a person displaced or you know a loss of love or a loss of something or just you know just an expression like a they call a lot of rebetico music which is the larger genre that tiftadel is just one small part Uh, They call it like the Greek blues. So um, if it's part of that Rebetiko era, it has to be, you have to keep that in mind and not be, you know, too, too happy about things. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but, um, but yeah, and then uh, Turkish style, I mean, Turkish style also has a big range in eras because, um, you know, for the most part nowadays in the, after the 80s or 90s, let's say, uh, with with Mezdeke, <laughs> and after, uh, the use of Arabic music and drum solo is is um, like the norm, let's say. So if someone isn't coming to to a, I mean, these touristic venues here in Turkey are more uh, creative and theatrical. But when you have a belly dancer at a at an event or something, or you know, they just expect some drum solo, and you know. That's, they're not expecting a real Turkish feeling or, you know, old Turkish style or classic Turkish style. The, the modern day tur- Turkish environments, if there's a belly dancer, because that's the other thing that, you know, slowly this is becoming less and less normal. Um, like they're mostly, the, if, it's a, if it's just like a birthday or, a, you know, a gig, they're not expecting you to come with a Turkish style or an old, nice song, they're, they're going to be like, okay, so, you know, have a drum solo and a little Arab, like old style Arabic music. And, um, and that's a shame, you know, especially here. It, it, we're, I think we're keeping, I, I know a lot of big Turkish style teachers are, are keeping the style alive uh, outside of Turkey and in Turkey as well. So, um, but, for, but for the people who seek, you know, <laughs> for the general public, it's disappearing here in Turkey, or it's only in the touristic sector. And and for the general public, it's kind of the expectations are quite low.
1: We kind of gradually shifted uh, from Greek uh, style to Turkish style. Uh, but um, there's two terms that you used. One, buzuki, So that's for little clarification for someone who doesn't know its name of a uh, music instrument. And then you also said something like uh, before and after a Yeah,
0: so I, I said buzuki, which is the Greek instrument. Uh, there's a um, different instrument, just to clarify for anybody who... May have heard other things. Um, so the Greek instrument buzuki, uh, there it exists a, a instrument in Turkey also called buzuk, and they're probably. I mean, I'm not a dan- uh, a music uh, scholar or something, but uh, they're related, but not the same instrument. Um, buzuk and buzuki are slightly different, I think. I believe um, we also have in Greek music uh, a baglama which is a small buzuki and this is very confusing because in Turkey there is a baglama, baglama, which is a different instrument. (laughs) So just to be clear, like uh, there's there's buzuk and there's baglama in both languages, but they may not refer to the same instrument. Uh, Bouzouki is super popular in Greek music, not just sifteteli, all kinds of Greek music. It's kind of the headliner of the Greek music, depending on the region, because we also have, of course, violin and clarinet and all kinds of other things. Um, And bouzoukia, if we say bouzoukia, it's the place that is uh, the big place for live music. So imagine like a live music nightclub. And they usually exist in the cities, uh, bouzoukia. So there's the Buzuki and there's Buzukya, which is like, let's go to the Buzukya, which is the place. Um, And then Mezdeke was uh, a group of um, three dancers in uh, the 90s, I want to say. And they became very popular uh, because um, they put out CDs. (laughs) I mean, they put up albums, I guess, cassette tapes first and then CDs. Um, and they were popular here in in Turkey. Uh, they wore uh, a face mask, which is also popular now in the era of COVID, uh, which is what we're all wearing. If, if we do perform, we're all wearing these uh, scarves, you know, over our face masks. Um, so they had the the, you know, the, what do you call it, era of mystique. You know, you didn't, couldn't quite know who they were they were a three, three girl group of dancers. And they appeared here and there in Turkey. I was obviously not part of, I mean, I wasn't here yet, but um, their lasting image is that they, uh, they had these CDs that they put out and it was um, mainly Arabic pop songs and drum solos. So anybody who was interested in um, belly dance at that time in Turkey, you know, there's a history of, of long history and evolution of dance, um, in Turkey and, and uh, big famous dancers and uh, on TV and, and all to, to reach the general public, let's say uh, the most famous were the ones on TV and movies. And, um, and then, you know, a, an evolution, a shift as different dancers became popular and were on media. Uh, Mezzeke was one of the groups that, that was, became popular and it shifted from, you know, let's say Turkish music, Shifted the gears to um, popularize Arabic music here, pop Arabic music specifically (laughs) during that time.
1: So after living in Greece for a while or taking a break to regroup. Uh, You had some time also working uh, with contracts in different uh, countries all over Middle East. But then last uh, seven or around seven years, you are in Istanbul based. You kind of have something about seven years, seven years there, seven years
0: Uh, I was coming. So when I was in Greece, of course, as I said, I was still continuing this um, academic approach, uh, trying to balance academic approach to culture and dance and also uh, develop myself as an artist, performer, entertainer. I couldn't decide what I was, actually. So um, whenever I could, I was traveling to Egypt and Turkey. Um, Being in Greece made that extremely Easy, <laughs> uh, especially because it was during a time when I mentioned uh, there was no there was no economic crisis. I was working a lot, so for me to go to Greece or Turkey two or three times a year was a reality. And it was like I, I'm pinching myself. <laughs> like what what was that life? Um, so yeah, I went to Egypt and I came to Turkey uh, two two times each year. Egypt, I went mainly for festivals, um, Ahlan and Nile Group mainly. I did travel a little bit outside of those festivals, but I was really going to to the festivals to learn. And um, I took some students to those festivals and stuff. So Turkey was, um, I had a teacher here, Sema Yildiz. She's still my dance mama. She's everybody's dance mama. Um, And uh, she was um, someone that I visited here and she visited in Greece and we just kept in touch. And Um, I never considered living in Istanbul. I loved coming for shopping and culture and the flavor. I've always loved the city, uh, but I never imagined myself living there. It was just a a little getaway for me always. And when the um, economic crisis happened in Greece, uh, it shifted everything. I mean, from one day to the next, I was just feeling the lifestyle changed, and I don't mean so much like suddenly I lost work. that was part of it, but um, people's energy people's um, that the there were there was a lot of fear around what was happening with the economic crisis so um I just started considering going back to the states um, my contract work was actually parallel to my first years here in Turkey um, because I had already contacted the the Lebanese agent, but I hadn't started working with him yet. So I was like, what is my next step? Like, where am, do I stay in Greece during this very difficult time as I was losing students and feeling pressure uh, from the dance schools? Like, where are your students? Why are they not continuing? There was a lot of like a weird energy. And then, of course, performing went from, you know, great possibilities to nearly nothing. And the pay also went down. I was like, Oh, I was feeling struggle, uh, struggle and frustration. And, um, I was planning actually to go back to the States with no plan of <laughs> uh, planning with no plan and, or pursuing the, the Lebanese agent thing, which really was, had a big question mark in my mind. And, uh, Sema Yildiz said, come to Turkey. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. Of course I'll come visit you whatever. And she said, no, you can come, you can work. I said, "What do you like? What is I? I hadn't thought of this even." And I said, "Okay, maybe a summer contract somewhere in Antalya, Bodrum, something. I had some idea in my mind what she meant, and so I I wasn't sure if she was serious. I went and visited, and she introduced me to one of the venues that I started working at the first years, and um, you know, just it started that way. And while I was in Istanbul, I had a uh, pretty steady work for the years that I was, I mean, up until COVID, (laughs) uh, steady and shifting, you know, like I, I, it took me a long time to orient myself in Istanbul. It's a very big city and it's a very, um, changing city all the time. So, uh, the, the situation was changing. I mean, in the years that I've been living here, there have been so many, um, you know, attack, you know, terrorist attacks and political upheavals and changes politically, changes socially. It's been a very, like, interesting time. So um, it's been a journey. I mean, now with COVID, it's giving me a chance to sort of reflect a little bit. I mean, um, see how far I've come. I don't know. <laughs> see what I've experienced. Experience. So yeah, but that's what brought me initially. I didn't think I would live in Istanbul, but once I got here, it was the same thing. It's like I came to give it a try and ended up staying.
1: How different was it performing in uh, Turkey, in Istanbul, compared to performing in Greece? Uh,
0: very different. Um, the In Greece, I was... There was a variety of places that I danced, but they were all um, Greek. Uh, they, they were for local Greek people. I mean, uh, different, whether it be a restaurant or be a club or whether it be a, a live music venue or, you know, from time to time, you know, private birthday party or something. It was relative, you know, Greek people. In Turkey, um, I immediately got into the tourism sector. So, I mean, aside from the staff and the occasional, you know, tour leader or something, I was dancing for foreigners, um, dancing for tourists. Um, And this is different because when I, when I did do Turkish event, it was usually a small private, you know, birthday party or something in a small restaurant or a small house. And I don't, I'm, I'm not too popular with those because especially in my first years, I, Didn't speak Turkish, and even my Turkish now is not that. I'm not proud of my level (laughs) after all these years. But um, uh, I was working. I mean, I was I was busy each evening, so I didn't really uh, make myself available. Nor did I look to do events outside of what I had. I was happy with where I was dancing. I wasn't trying to conquer the city with becoming a famous and well-known reputable sought after belly dancer. I just wanted a a nice place to dance and, and having the tourism places, they were um, impressive. You know, the, the stages are impressive. The, <clears throat> the, um, the environment is usually family friendly. That's the other thing, you know, um, in the, in my contracts in the Gulf, uh, they were mainly nightclubs, you know, so that's normally not a family-friendly environment. It's a it's a totally different thing in the Gulf. And then in Greece too, it's um, usually nightclubs. Some restaurants are family-friendly, but, you know, you're on the nightlife circuit. Whereas in Turkey, it was a very, um, I don't know, what do you want to, like uh, sterile, cultural, touristic environment <laughs> that I was in. So very different very different stages and very different interactions with people and um, I grew a lot as a dancer in the first years uh, in Turkey because I was given a stage and I it was up to me completely what I did you know it wasn't about fitting anybody's expectations it was about what I felt like putting on that stage was you know good enough Hmm. it seemed.
1: If to compare, in Egypt it's almost unspeakable to work without an agent. Not that it's impossible, because of course we have examples of very successful dancers working without agent in Egypt, but usually it's through the agent. How is it going in Turkey in this sense? Do you have to work with agent, or you kind of as a dancer can do all arrangements yourself for your gigs?
0: So the answer to this question is really different if you are uh, foreign. So I'm a foreigner and I can only speak on this front. Um, It's not legal to work as a freelancer, as a foreigner. So it depends on how legal you (laughs) want to be. As a foreigner, you're kind of um, limited to opportunities if you want to be legal if you if you really want to feel safe and secure in your job and um you're not going to be able to go out and freelance if you want to be legal there's no paperwork that you can fill out to say i'm an i'm a birthday party entertainer like those jobs legally are done by uh circuit and usually they're not legal anyway, <laughs> for even them. But uh, Turkish dancers run less risk of any problems if they're caught working. You know, uh, there is there isn't. I believe there's not so much a um, penalty for accepting money as and not paying taxes, for example. You know, like the the systems in place in the US, for example, where you have to pay taxes on your income and all that stuff. It's not. It's not. Existent neither in Greece or in Turkey, um, but as a foreigner, uh, there is of course a sensitivity to that because if they do catch you working illegally, you can there are fines and deportation, and you run more risks than if you were a Turkish person. So, in um, so to answer your question, there are agents working with foreigners um, in. Uh, resort areas. I don't know if that's continuing, though, because I was under the impression that even those agencies in Bodrum or in Talia, Antalya, Alania, um, they've slowed the process down of getting those paperwork uh, in, in order. Um, and then otherwise, there's a very complicated and uh, difficult process to work legally um, as a dancer with one place, for example. But it is possible. It's just uh, unlikely so a lot of foreign dancers just accept that they will be illegal and um, and therefore limited because unless you don't care and you think nobody's gonna ever find out or you're never gonna make an enemy or uh, you know then you do whatever you want to do but um... but it's usually basically uh, it's not like
1: agent who uh... Who is working with a dancer? It's more like you are hired by a place in Turkey
0: for foreign. Yeah, more more like that. Especially in Istanbul, you can be hired uh, by a place, and then it's up to them if they want to go through the hoops that it takes for them to legalize your position there. Um, it's expensive for the place to do it, but they they can do it if they want to do it. <laughs> it's but then
1: it's also the risk, not like for dancers. Uh, it's also the big risk for place themselves so because as a dancer you're hired you did the contract you may have your documents but it's out of your control if they what they will do on their end and if they did on their end stuff or not i assume so it's a risk also for actual establishments if they decide not to do stuff <laughs>
0: exactly exactly if they if they really i mean there's no shortage of dancers so that's the other thing that's also what uh, what weighs into the fact of the likelihood of, of a place really going through those hoops for you uh, as a foreign dancer, it's um, there's no shortage of dancers. It's easier for them to get a local dancer, a Turkish dancer, a, a, you know, somebody who. There's many dancers, so um, it's. A lot of people have asked me along uh, around I mean all these years many people have asked me like oh I see you dancing in Turkey I want to dance in Turkey I mean it's a, it's a much larger um, procedure and and it's difficult I mean people who are not uh, living in a place they usually think oh, okay can I send a video to an agency or something I'm like I don't know where that idea where that idea comes from that you could like uh, promote yourself to an agency and be, this is like maybe a, a more Western way of, you know, you have to physically show up here, uh, risk a lot, <laughs> spend a lot of money trying to see if, if you the shoe fits, you know, and if the shoe fits and you, and you find a situation, it, it has to be a natural organic process, I think. Um, because I've seen over the years, I've seen uh, people come with certain intentions and then it, it happens or it happens weirdly or, or whatever. And then it ends and it's, you know, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And then there's people who come and they find their way, they find their, their place there. It just fits and then they continue from there and evolve from there. And, um, yeah, it, it's definitely not, um, there's no system in place to say, okay, first you do that. And first you, then you do that. And then you do that. It's, um, and especially in Turkey, where everything keeps changing, <laughs>
1: especially lately. I mean, especially these days uh, that uh, we had a lot of shifts this year, <laughs> in this past year. A lot, a lot.
0: It's been, I mean, we're all waiting for this to, uh, you know, I think we'll all appreciate live interaction. <laughs> um, it's been a growing experience with online stuff, but um you know, I hope that when we do get to interact face to face and you know hand to hand, dance together, we'll, we'll all appreciate it a lot more. I think, and that's for everything, for entertainment, but also for festivals. I mean, how much, how many of us scheduled our years, you know, uh, festival to festival, and seeing our international friends and all of that. So
1: well but definitely online world took over these days and at least we have opportunity to connect through that so already a little bit better than if you didn't have those technologies but what surprised me uh, a lot in the online space throughout this year then the first shock after complete like event cancellation and lockdowns after the, the the first shock went a little bit down and in terms like everyone realized that it's gonna be longer than just a few weeks it's gonna stay for a while what's that happening a lot it's of course online classes everyone went online online courses zoom classes etc but then i remember because for me it was the time that i was uh, preparing a business course for uh, dance gigs like i finished my active performing uh, activities earlier so for me the covid like did not affect in any way this part of my life but i remember i was putting together all my like knowledge together in this business course and i was checking some online resources through which people were hiring me to like show some examples and then i noticed oh people start putting online gigs and hiring bell- not like we're not talking about Zoom classes, or online classes. We are talking about hiring a belly dancer online for birthday party or wedding, and that for me was a complete shock. And I know you had experience of participating online and being hired online as a performer. So can you tell a little bit more about that? How does it go? What's going on here? <laughs>
0: This was a complete surprise, and it was something that, you know, years and years of performing, sometimes I feel, it's a funny thing, like, I feel like I've kind of, everything that could happen has happened, you know, like falling on stage, or, you know, something stuck to my costume, or, you know, I always feel something will happen, if something happens, that's like, okay, well, you know, what do you expect if you're dancing every day for the last, you know, 15 years of your life? So one thing, like it shocked me too when I was uh, asked to do birthday party um, on Zoom. It's been a, a handful. Not, I, I can't say it's like a regular gig for me, but um, but it was interesting. I mean, it was most interesting was when uh, I was asked to do a birthday party. First of all, that it was a Turkish um, audience because as I mentioned, like, I don't really, I mean, I dance for foreigners, most of the time I dance within the tourism circuit. So how I ended up at a, you know, a fully Turkish birthday party on Zoom, it was something different in and of itself. And then uh, the preparation for it was kind of interesting, because it gave me a bit of anxiety with all the technology. (laughs) I mean, the right angle, and, you know, am I in the frame? And what's my background? And I mean, I use some of my class expertise for that, but, but still, I mean, it's going to be live and I don't, you know, as, as with any gig, you don't know the people. It's not like you're going to be like, and, and there's not a lot of talking or introduction, you know, it's just your time to go and go. And one of the other things that stood out for me in this handful is that um, when I get ready, you know, I'm getting ready in my house and not a dressing room or don't have to get to a stage or get anywhere on time. You know, I could finish washing the dishes and then put on my costume. And um, and one of the funny things was uh, that I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm ready. But then I'm like, no, let me put on some perfume. And I put on perfume <laughs> for myself, I guess because i was missing it you know and i'm like they're not gonna smell me so (laughs) why am i putting on perfume but it was just a must you know it's part of the costume and um but it was it was a nice the few times that i've done it they were nice experiences um a lot of flexibility and patience with any kind of um technology thing like uh you know, just getting the share audio, you know, you need the host to allow you to share your audio on zoom. And sometimes you have to, you know, type it in or say, Oh, sorry. You know, they make an announcement and we have a surprise and here she comes. Okay. Athena. And then there's like this weird <laughs> pause. And, and one of the parties I actually, uh, because she made me host, the, the host person made me host. I said, okay, thank you everybody. Bye-bye. And I ended for everyone instead of ending you know i had to get i had to get out of the party but because i was host i just clicked the wrong thing and i guess they had to regroup afterwards i hope and anyway i spoke with them afterwards i didn't destroy the party or whatever. <laughs> but yeah the technology thing is is quite uh new you know it's like anything um, but but fun that there are these kinds of things for birthday parties and it is super safe. You know, that's the best part about it. When everybody's at a different level of, uh, sensitivity regarding this, this pandemic and how they feel safe and people are staying home and feeling super safe. And why not have a, enjoy something together and spontaneous because the live part of it makes it spontaneous. And I find that too, with the online shows, I'm doing so many online shows, um, and I love doing them because when I create the videos, I get to think of, you know, nice backgrounds or, you know, uh, it's, it's almost like a festival in the sense that it's the freedom to do something super creative, but now you, you're, you're not limited to the stage setting, you know, what color lights you're going to have. You can go to the forest, you can go, you know, to the terrace, you can go to the parking lot and have a nice, um, backdrop for your piece. And, um, so I like those online things. But sometimes the online is, you know, submit a video and sometimes it's live. And the live is always like, oh, okay, it's time to... there's that excitement. <laughs> Just like stepping on stage.
1: But it was fun. And it's amazing how creative we get whenever we put in these limits, like hiring a ballet dancer for a birthday party online. <laughs> that would be not imaginary before.
0: <laughs> yeah, people still like, People still look at me funny when I say that that I've done a few of those. You know, they're like, really?
1: (laughs) No, but I remember, like, it's not only you. Like, I remember, like, looking at some platform uh, that was, uh, like, a host for, like, just advertising different performers. I was like, okay, like, what is going here? Like, how can I show? And then I see an announcement, like, oh, like, they were offering both clients who visit the website and performers to start advertising their online shows for no i'm not talking about belly dance community shows i'm talking about shows for regular people for birthdays or weddings like or anniversaries and that was really surprising like oh my god it's it's a very new thing
0: Uh, yeah and what's nice about what's nice about that is that it's bringing into the home something that maybe somebody has a preconceived notion about you know some people might have never thought to have a belly dancer in their event or or to see a belly dance like when like anything else like now they get to stay home and see something that maybe you know different people react to belly dance in different way maybe they would be shy or or you know there's the, those people <laughs> that in a in a public setting they don't know how to you know everybody's different so they react differently and I guess that's what the there's like a buffer you know of, of online you know they know that that dancer is is just something on the screen to watch and and they can soothe some sort of anxiety that maybe some people have and why they don't uh, why they wouldn't have experienced it live in their life.
1: Well, uh talking about current situation, um can you please tell us about your like current project, uh, classes as well as your maybe social media activities where people can follow your um today's uh, things and
0: and uh, activities. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd love to share all that information, of course. Um, so I started teaching online, um, jumped right on the bandwagon with everyone else. I, uh, gathered a nice mailing list of people. <laughs> so if you'd like, to, if any of the listeners would like to join the mailing list, um, I was teaching pop-up free classes every once in a while. So that's just to keep people, uh, who financially are not able to to sign up for a class or aren't sure if the class is right for them or whatever for whatever reason a free pop up class every once in a while I try to make it at least once a month Um, they're like small 45 minute classes Uh, that information goes out to my mailing list and you can jump on a zoom class um, and the mailing list you can get through my website which is www.atheneneajat.com And there's just like a registration page. And I just get your email and I don't send out junk. I just send the promotion of of what's happening in the online class world. So there's usually a free pop-up class every month. And then um, online classes, I'm trying to shift now from live to uh, recorded. And there are a few reasons why. Over this process of about almost a year now, right, of uh, online stuff. Um, I'm situated in the middle of several different time zones, and it's been hard to uh, find everybody on the same time zone. So I'm going to do private, uh, do recorded classes mainly, but I still have some recordings up from the previous live classes. So of course, the format is a bit different. Um, When you're live, uh, you can hear other people's, you know, feedback and, and questions. And so it's a different thing as opposed to when I create a recorded class, it's more like a tutorial, more like a, uh, you know, I'm speaking to the camera and hoping that you're (laughs) enjoying the class. Um, and I do that at different levels. So I'm doing recorded classes of beginner. So if you have, you know, if you need beginner refresher technique, I have those, um, recorded and I'm constantly making new, um, workshops with special topics so whether it be a prop class or a, um, a style or a choreography of in a certain style or uh, theatrical elements in my you know that help me create work um, stagecraft or, or musicality or things like that I, I do special topics and then um, I also just have a stream of Uh, like an intermediate advanced technique, which is what most of the students who were participating live, that's what they came uh, for. So I'm keeping that going um, so we can keep our technique up to up to speed. (laughs) And all of those are um, through through my website. I'm developing a platform to put them. But for right now, I'm just using Vimeo um, and just sharing the links privately. So. Well, I'll make sure to include links to your
1: website and social media, to the show notes of this episode, so all listeners you know you can easily find there and connect with our guest. And before I ask you our um, summer question, I would like to thank you for taking time and uh, sharing. Uh, I know we just kind of like jumped from one place to another (laughs) and uh, there was much more like uh, to go in depth, but it's already interesting to see the perspective of three very different at least three that we discussed like us greece and turkey and to see from inside of the dancer's life in all those three uh places so thank you for sharing with us it was a very thank interesting you.
0: journey this, is, this has been a wonderful chat and i i um i love your podcast so much i mean i find everybody's journey is so unique and interesting and um Uh, So thank you for doing this, first of all, (laughs) and thank you for having me on. My pleasure. And
1: I'm very excited to hear your answer to our traditional question. I don't know if you prepared one or it's going to be improvised, but in any case, the question sounds like this. What makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years.
0: Uh, I feel I didn't prepare. <laughs> as usual. I feel, um, it is always expanding and it's a limitless form. Um, you can constantly bring new inspiration into this dance form. And, um, you know, as long as you, as, as long as I, keep living life and being inspired by what's around me, it will always inform my dance and it will always surprise me in that way. Um, How it informs and how it evolves and how it helps me evolve as a person, as an artist, as a dancer. Um, It's, it's a limitless form. I think that's it for today, guys. But before
1: you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who's listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.